Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Please be advised that Gen X This Is Why contains adult language. This is a nightmare scenario. Your boss is at your doctor's appointment. Like this is a nightmare people have, I think. Hi, and welcome to Gen X, This Is Why, where we re-examine the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media from our shared childhood. My name is Amy, I'm your host, and I'm a proud Gen Xer born in 1977. And I'm Jenny, her older sister, born in 1974. Today we're going to talk about Little House on the Prairie, episode two. Some of you might think this is actually the pilot, but the pilot was a movie, So we did do an episode where we covered the pilot, and that will be up on the pod. So this is going to be a Harvest of Friends, Season 1, technically Episode 2. Jenny, do you want to read the uh, description? Sure. The Ingalls family settles on the banks of Plum Creek near Walnut Grove, Minnesota. Charles builds a home for them with his own hands and heads into town immediately to look for work. It's hard enough meeting his financial responsibilities and finding enough time to spend with his family, but the greatest challenge is arise when an unfortunate accident places the Ingalls family in jeopardy. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. So overall thoughts on the episode before we get into it? Um, I had some revelations in this episode. <laughs> like it Caroline me, had some revelations. It made me understand a lot of what I discussed in therapy for like 10 years, but we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> later. <laughs> And my ongoing love affair with Charles Ingalls continues. So we start this episode with Alora voiceover, and she sets us up for this is them moving to Walnut Grove, which can I say, I did not realize that Plum Creek was in Walnut Grove. I didn't either. And I don't I don't I don't know if that's clear from the books. But I, I, it wasn't clear from the TV series. So for those of you who've seen the movie or listened to our last episode, in the movie, they end up basically after 18,000 things try to kick them off of their land that they have just squatted on and claimed. They finally, in the end, pick up, load into the wagon, Jack chasing behind as always, and just head to find a new home. So this episode opens where they seemingly have found this new home. They're in Minnesota. And they're in Minnesota. And 
Laura's talking about how Pa brokers a deal with Mr. Hansen to buy the land. And this is a great episode. It's called Harvest of Friends, and we meet all of the regulars. Yeah, and it has the the beginning that we all know, like where they're running down the hill and they're coming across the prairie in the covered wagon. Like this kind of starts the series in my mind. I read a little bit of trivia that the famous fall that Carrie takes in the opening was actually real and they left it in there. And I, I didn't know if that was a dick move on their part <laughs> or if it's so kind of cute. I have a theory about Carrie. Okay. So I think Carrie is a spare kid. Like I think she's, they just treat her like a spare kid. Like in case something <laughs> happens to Laura or Mary, like we, have or we got Carrie. I mean, we saw that in the pilot episode when they threw her in the river to protect her from a fire. <laughs> like they're kind of like, yeah, just put her over there. Like, yeah. you know, like she, she feels like, oh my God, you know what I just remembered? What? Charles Jr. Oh yeah, we'll get to him. <gasps> oh my we'll god, so I just totally we'll to forgot him. about him. I will say when I told mom we were doing this, she is scarred by the Charles Jr. episode. Wow, really? Like it brought she she mentioned it right away and brought it up. Yep. She remembers it very well. I was just trying to think if they had more kids, and there was that other kid, Grace, that came along eventually, and then there was the Charles Jr. debacle. And as I, I imagine, you know, as we're re-examining this stuff to see it through our eyes when we were little watching it, I would imagine as a young mother, mom watching that episode was probably super traumatic. I'm sure. With Charles Jr. There was a lot that was traumatic about her childhood for mom. That's true. Okay. Charles is working at the mill to earn the wood that he uses to build the house. So the house building has begun. And I have some thoughts on this because I watched it with Timmy, my husband, who built our own house with his own hands. So we are led to believe that this takes place over, how long did you think? So I was confused about this. It's either like, cause you don't see the season change. So either the season didn't right. change. So it took like a couple months or it took over a year. Timmy was saying that it would take at least a year. Okay, so maybe it did. It could have. That could have happened. I couldn't see anything else that gave us the past, like that would fly in the face of it being a year later. Like people seem yeah. to know them better too. So I think that that's a little bit of a yes. clue that they're yes. not, like everything was like, oh, you're new to town, you're new to town. And then it seems like that stopped, like after the house was built. Right. Like they suddenly knew that Charles was a man of yeah. The house is being built. And, and, and another note on the house Timmy was impressed by the stone fireplace and chimney at first at first and then there was a close-up shot and he was like oh god that shit well, like it's sloppy well, he knows it's a set right i guess um i put that they have a locking door and i was super happy about that i like the detail like there's furniture like the 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 headboard of charles and caroline yep. is like yep. carved like why are you taking that kind of time to like right and did Paul do that Oh, they didn't buy this furniture. Are you crazy? One thing I wanted to point out too about the structure of the house. Two things. Number one, that house is so familiar to me. It's like my skeleton inside my body. Like I'm built from that house. I know it so well, right? We grew I up I mean, with this it. is an exaggeration too. I feel like the skeleton. How well do you even know your own skeleton? If you think about it, would you recognize it? Like if I took a bunch of skeletons and put them along the wall, would you be like, that's mine? Whatever, Jenny. Yeah, I would. 
I just meant the body remembers. When I saw the house, I had a visceral reaction to it. It was like, oh, there's my house. Okay. And I will say, skipping a little bit ahead, the last sentence that Laura says in this episode is, hold on, her famous quote, home, oh, she doesn't no, say it at the end. end. She says it to home is the nicest word there is. I actually put that quote in the stupid picture book that I made for Timmy of our house building wow. process. Wow. Why didn't you? So I have, a, you I have a serious question, though. Mm-hmm. If you love this house so much, why didn't you guys no, build this house? No. Why aren't you living in this house? No. But I also want to point out that there is a structural thing that freaked me out as a parent. And that is in Laura and Mary's famous loft, there's a window on the floor. And I feel like they're trying to kill Carrie. <laughs> no, they can kill her. She's the spare kid. I wasn't sure what was happening, but Laura can like just whip that window open. And we all know what happens with kids with windows on the floor. I mean, it's like a death trap. So I didn't like that. Okay. Noted. They have a door that locks. This means no one can just walk in anymore, <laughs> which was a trope in the pilot. Caroline and Charles are bullshitting. Meanwhile, their toddler climbs up a dangerous ladder behind them on the second floor with the window. Charles gets her and they test out the kid's bed, which is a little strange. And then Laura says, home is the nicest word there is. And can we discuss how cute Melissa Gilbert looks in this episode? So there's a couple of things in this scene. First of all, I feel like Laura totally writes Mary as a bossy nerd. And I <laughs> you think like, like it's just so slanted. It's like, yeah, she's so one dimensional. <laughs> she's just a bossy nerd. And then Laura says that famous line and she's talking there's that back and forth conversation with her and Charles. And it's the weirdest lighting I've ever seen in my life in a TV show. Like it's this like halo, like reminiscent yes. of like the Mr. Edwards yes. Kaylin conversation. Very strange. Yeah, they they are very heavy-handed on the lighting. Yeah. The next day, Charles goes into town, and I am super excited because he needs a plow, and he needs some seed, and we all know where he's going. The only store in town. Olson's Mercantile. Mercantile. I was so excited, and Timmy has never seen this, so as (laughs) Charles is walking towards it, I'm like, oh, get ready. Nels is going to want to give him the plow on credit, and Harriet's going to be a bitch about it. Guaranteed. This is... That's what happened. This marriage, like we could spend three months just dissecting the Olsen's marriage, I feel like. Uh, so Nels looks like he's going to do it. He's going to cave. But Harriet interjects and is a total bitch. And I don't throw that word around lightly, but if I'm going to use it here, it's on Harriet Olsen. She informs Charles they can't give credit to people they don't know because people plant their harvest, plant their fields and then stick around for harvest and then take off. Charles gets offended and walks out. And then I said, this really sets up how their relationship plays out for years. Like Charles is always able to put Harriet in her place. Yep. Years down the road. And I would even venture there's some sexual tension there. Like I think she likes him a little bit because she like kind of folds to him like she doesn't to anyone else. Yeah. And right? then there's that the dynamic between Nels and Harriet. And it's like every day for like 10 years, he's like, oh God. And it's like, what? What are you doing, Nels? Like, why are you there? <laughs> day right, and then awful. even if you're staying for the kids, once the kids are gone, what does he do? He just gets a fake Nelly. Oh in my that god! Nancy I girl. totally forgot about her. 
So Charles storms out and finds a store with Liam O'Neill as the owner. He has some nice plows and Charles sees that half of his roof is caved in. So Charles almost looks excited to see the damage to this roof. <laughs> so, so I like, what the hell is the weirdo scene here? Like there's, there's this thing and I feel like this is reoccurring where it's like the Charles has an idea montage. Yeah. Almost like in Saved by the Bell where they do the Zach Morris where the, they do like a close in, a close up and he like winks. Like, that's pretty much the tell with Charles. Like, they just kind of show his face up tight, and you could see he's thinking, and he looks gleeful. Yeah. So, he looks excited. So, he talks to Liam, and he's like, look, I want to fix your roof. You give me the plow. You give me the seed. And Liam's like, no, you need to stack all these bags of stuff coming from Mankato. And the minute Mankato was mentioned, I I was tense all over. It's the most and, uncomfortable conversation. Like, he's like, I need to sweeten my part. I was waiting for, like, Charles to promise, like, Mary's hand in marriage to this guy. Like, it was getting creepy. It was pretty bad. And they said in three weeks so many times. Like, the foreshadowing <laughs> in this episode is so... It's sloppy. The minute... And, and I, I swear this really happened. The minute the episode started, I told Timmy exactly what was going to happen in the episode. I said, uh-oh, Ch- when I saw Charles going to work, I'm like, Charles is going to work himself to death. And I, I laid out the whole thing that was going to happen. I was like, you know, not super specific, right. but I knew the framework. I knew the framework. So what does he promise? What does he use for collateral? So he uses the oxen for collateral and he signs some kind of mortgage where... If Charles doesn't do all of this work in three weeks, this guy's going to come and take his oxen. Well, let's talk about the oxen a little bit because they appear in the beginning of the episode. And I guess he sold Pat and Patty. Yeah. Yeah. He ditched He them. ditched like the horses that they had that the kids loved. And it's like kids do not get attached to these oxen and look and look what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were the sex ed teachers. Yeah. They taught Laura all about the birds and bees. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened. More foreshadowing when Liam is saying you're biting off more than you could chew. And I wrote, Charles will be headed for some kind of collapse. (laughs) And Liam wants Charles to sign over the oxen. So more foreshadowing that evening is Charles is telling Caroline the deal he struck and all the work he's going to be doing. And he's throwing out some math there. And essentially, he's going to be working 14 to 15 hours a day and then coming home and doing farm work. Right. And Caroline's not happy about it. And they have this weird scene here, like this weird shot where they're holding hands over the table (laughs) and they zoom in on it and they just sit there. So this is, I think Michael Landon's getting a little creative with his um, photography here. And it's in not a good way. Not definitely not in a good way. So we have an interior scene where the family's eating. Carrie opens her mouth for the first time. And is the single most annoying human being on earth. Did you hear that sound? I thought it was just that I don't like the sound of kids that it irritated me. No. All right. So that's universal then. It it was a screech. Yeah, it was bad. That I think translated to, I want molasses. Is that what that was? But it sounded like a record squealing or dog being killed. Well, because he takes, Carolyn takes all their pancakes and gives them to Charles. (laughs) Yes. Which, uh, can I just have an aside here for a second? I ate only breakfast food today, all day. 
Can I have a side? I would gobble up three pancakes right now if somebody handed the that's a dream dinner for me. Give I me just had pancakes as I'm heading out the I door. just had pancakes for dinner. I had yogurt for lunch and I had eggs for breakfast. Yeah, I think I did a lot of breakfast day too. I just had bowl cereal for dinner. Because I'm uh, an adult and I could do that if I want to. Charles is walking to work, which I realized in the, I think there's nine seasons of this. I realized in the nine years I've watched this, I still don't have a good gauge on how far it is to town. I meant to look that up and I forgot. It feels like it's like two miles. I'm going to take a guess. Because they get sweaty. Okay. Like they're sweaty. And Doc Baker, oh, spoiler, is driving back and forth. So it's, it's drivable. That's true. That's true. So Charles is walking to work when he comes across a broken down Doc Baker. <laughs> His wagon wheels broken. Charles is fixing course, it for him. because he's got nothing else going on. He just knows how to do everything. I mean, again, the man <laughs> is goddamn amazing. So Doc Baker offers to pay him and Charles turns it down and instead asks for a ride to town. We see, Then we see Charles sweating profusely on a roof. And then we see Hanson at the lumber mill, his whistle blowing. And so Charles essentially is working mornings at the O'Neill store fixing the roof. And then at noon, when Hanson's blowing the whistle, he's running over to Hanson's and working off for the wood, working at the mill for the wood for the house. So all he's doing is working, going from one job to another. So the Doc Baker thing, though, I'm just realizing they that was the first time they interacted, wasn't it? Yes. Okay, yes. so my theory about it could have taken a year to build that house is probably not true. Then it had to take less time. Right, because it was within the three weeks that Charles gets hurt. Okay, dropping the spoilers. Well, you know, if, if it's a spoiler, <laughs> Doc, uh, it was on in 1974. <laughs> when does when does the spoiler window end? So Doc Baker <laughs> says to Charles, "I heard this, and I heard this, and you. I heard you have a nice family, and I heard you're working over at Hanson's. I heard like the rumor mill, the blabbermouths." Yeah, we'll Grove? see that later. Holy crap. Doc Baker says, I heard you have a purdy wife. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> that would just be a better episode, <laughs> I think. <laughs> At Hanson's, Doc Baker. Okay, this was actually a pretty weird scene, but I enjoyed it for some reason. At Hanson's, Doc Baker shows up with a basket of chickens and demands Charles takes the chickens. For his kind deed that this morning. Then we have like this banter between Hanson and Baker. Where they're making fun of each other for their age. And they're kind of busting each other's balls. And it's kind of funny. This is over the watch. Yes. Okay, so I have some notes on this. Because I thought they focused on it in a weird way. And and like I know around that time they came up with universal time. Like because nobody knew what time it was. I mean they, they knew locally but like there was no guide to what universal time was like a long time ago oh, okay so okay. let me get my um index card oh <laughs> so, so you are such a nerd no wonder why little sisters write their big sisters as huge nerds <laughs> go ahead jenny so in 1850 the american watch company in massachusetts uh, marketed the first spring-powered pocket watch so this would be, Laura was born in 1867, and she's seven when they moved to Walnut Grove. So this is about, the show series starts in about 1874. So this is like 25 years later. So they have spring-powered watches, but there was hundreds of local times and like the railroads 
were getting pissed because like they actually used like the stars to know what time it was, but everybody had local weird distant times and it was causing all kinds of hay. It was causing all kinds of havoc. So in 1883, the railroads created our time zones. That was just inside. Hmm. I'm just trying to think, is there anything on earth that I use the stars for? Uh, no. Like, would you know how to use the stars to get places? Yes. The North Star. I guess. Oh, oh. Skip that class in science. I don't have a good relationship with the outdoors. Okay. I feel like that's science more than just the outdoors. I mean, it's space. That's farther than the outdoors. All right. I'm just going to rely on my common sense to get that's me That's going to work. Uh-huh. So we have, again, like like just a couple shots of Charles coming and going and working and plowing and walking to work. And Laura says in a voiceover Mm -hmm. that she wrote in her remembrance book that Paul used every minute of daylight and even some of the night and how she and the others just longed for Sundays where they could see him and he would have the day off. The next day, the Ingalls family's getting ready for church and Charles is tying a tie and he falls asleep. The man is exhausted, right? I mean, this was his plan. I just want to... But his sweat stains are at least three times bigger (laughs) than they were in the beginning of the episode. So Caroline takes the kids alone to mass. Well, judgment. Reverend Alden, who I didn't realize was so strict. He's fire and brimstone, 100%. He is 100%. And you know what I realized, Jenny, that I never realized before? He looks just like Father Penn. (gasps) He does. He does. No wonder why our priest at our Roman Catholic church when we were growing up looked just like Reverend Alden. And this guy made me not like religion, Reverend Alden. No, no, wait, wait. No, that was the Catholic. That was the Catholic pen. That was the Catholic church. So Reverend Alden gives this crazy speech in which he's shaming all the women present because their husbands aren't with them in church. And he's saying things like, We are all sinners, all of us. And the only way you are not a sinner is if you come to church. And I just wanted to jump up and scream, I'm here. Like, why didn't one of them get up and be like, we're the ones sitting here. Like, go tell it to Charles. Why are you yelling at us? It was really, wow. Yeah. So then he he wants them to ruminate about this or on this as they sing a song called Come, Sinner, Come. But you remember, like, I remember when we were young and church was severe, because we went to kind of severe churches. They would yell at us all on, on Easter, all mass long, basically. Like at, during the homily, it would just be like yeah. an hour of yelling at everyone because the church was full on Easter and it wasn't full every Sunday, even though we were there most yeah. Sundays. And they would yell at us. And it's like, that. How? who is doing the marketing for the Catholic church? Like, how is that going to make me want to come to church? We're like... Yeah. Jenny and I grew up in a very... How would you describe this? Like traditional Roman Catholic, right? Yep. Area. Not a lot of diversity, not a lot of culture. It was very much um, populated by the early immigrations of the Polish, the Irish, the Italians. So it was Mm -hmm. very much Mm -hmm. like those Catholics. Like that was kind of the vibe. Yeah. So you went to church every Sunday. You went to Sunday school after church. You received your sacraments. You did the whole... The whole nine yards. 
And I can remember feeling shame about certain things. Like I remember Father Penn telling us, if you yawned during mass, it was the devil trying to make you uh, embarrass the priest. Wow. I don't remember that one. Yep. Okay. So Laura and Mary are instantly worried that Pa's going to go to hell because he didn't go to church this one time. Right. Because if you're not worried about someone going to hell at the end of your mass on Sunday, like if you're not, then you've done something wrong. As they walk across the field, they're coming home. And as they walk down that famous hill, they see Charles plowing. Oh, shit. And Caroline loses her shit. You had to get up and go plow. Like you didn't get up and run the church. You're screwed. She loses her shit. Like, wow. I mean, I kind of thought she was overreacting, but then I thought about it. And it's like, she just told these kids, like, he's so tired. Like, that's why he couldn't make it to church. You know what I mean? So it makes her look like, you know. So she yells at him and says, you know, the Lord's day is set aside for rest and worship. First of all, when she approaches him, Charles Ingalls. Oh my God, she was mad. She's yelling at him and Charles says, I have to plow the field and God ain't going to plow it for me. Man. Caroline says, that's sacrilege. So maybe Pa is going to hell. And Charles tells her, God understands, Caroline. He understands farmers. And then she, and then cut to her angry reading the Bible. Oh my God, I love it so much. (laughs) They cut to them laying in bed and she's reading the Bible. Like angry reading the Bible. And this Bible is worn out. Like she reads this thing. I'll bet you $85. She had no idea what she was reading. Like she wasn't even reading. She was just stewing. And here's an interesting aside. Mom was here this weekend and she brought this photo book. The kitty kitty one that she thought she made, which there's no way in hell she did. And it has pictures (laughs) pictures of all of our childhood cats in it. Oh, boy. Okay. And there's one of Tig. Tig was our orange tabby cat that we had when we were little kids. Like, not little, but we were like 10, 13 when he was around, right? Yeah. And there's a picture of him lying on mom and dad's bed. And next to their bed was their table. I don't know if you remember, it was circular with three legs. Yeah. And her Bible was on it. Oh my it. God. That was for show. That was a decoration. And I said, mom, do you remember you used to have the Bible by your bed every night? And she's like, oh yeah. Do you think she no. ever read it? Uh, of course not. No. She was reading Stephen but- King and Daniel Steele. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. I just thought it was really She crazy. definitely, definitely did not read that. First of all, did you ever open that Bible? I opened that Bible and the print is like the tiniest print I've ever seen. No one can see that. I'm not going to lie. I did not read a word of it, but I've opened it before. I opened it to see if it was really a Bible because it just sat there undisturbed (laughs) so long. Did you think it was like my seventh grade teacher that had the bottle of gin (laughs) inside his book? Uh, Maybe weed. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Not mom. The weed would be on dad's side of the bed. (laughs) All right, so I have later later that night they're in bed. Caroline's reading the Bible. Charles apologizes. And Caroline says, it's okay, I'm just worried about you, blah, blah, blah. But then she says, time spent being angry with you is such a waste. I'm sorry I got mad at you. And they smile and kiss. Charles has this amazing ability to gaslight the women around him. (laughs) Like, he did something wrong. Sure, she overreacted, but he still did something wrong. And now she's apologizing to him. The episode tone kind of changes the next day. We see Charles at Hanson's. And it looks like he's just about to finish our long national nightmare here. The roof? 
Like he's saying, no, 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 at Hanson's at the lumber oh. mill. Hanson tells him, hey, like you're already, you're almost done paying off what you've used. So why don't you come back and I'll give you a real job now? Because he was working this whole time just to earn the wood. Right. And he finished the roof now, at that dude's place. And let me right. tell you. So the roof was done. That roof would have taken me four years. And it's, it still would not work properly. Do you really think you could build I could roof? build things. I went to art school. I can build things. It just takes well, me a really me long time. <laughs> let me tell you this. When Timmy was studying the, the little house, <laughs> and he first said it would take Charles two years to build that house. No way. When he saw when he saw the with no power tools and hand cutting all the wood and the no wood one was cut. It, the wood was cut at the mill. Oh, that's right. But when he saw the roof on the house, he goes, Oh, forget it, it's only a year. <laughs> He was so appalled by that. It was roof. like a thatch. Isn't it like a thatch roof or something? It's called it's called a lean to the way it's built, like the structure of it. But it just was really bad. How long really how bad. long did Timmy dwell on this? Oh, too long. <laughs> <laughs> too long. Charles gets home and realizes he's been tough on the girls. Oh, he gets home and Caroline had put the girls to bed. And he's like, Why are you putting them to bed? It's daylight out. And she said, basically, you know, I didn't want to have them underfoot. But what she really did was put them out of harm's way because he's been super grouchy. And FYI, they can hear every word of this conversation. Everything. Everything. And also, like, Charles is in such a good mood and, like, he's getting paid and the roof is done. He's coming. And I'm like, here's where, like, the dread starts for me. Like, I feel this underlying dread. And now I know why. We'll deal with that later. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to lead that up. So Charles goes upstairs and tells them the story of the grumpy farmer. And I have in all capital letters here, he is the best fucking dad. I love oh Charles Ingalls. I did not know that this was going to happen. I guess I kind of did. Well, when he goes upstairs, first of all, they're totally fake sleeping. Oh my God, they looked adorable. I said to Timmy, they look adorable. Could you imagine if we had to sleep that close together? <laughs> And can you imagine if mom told us to go to bed when it was still light out? <laughs> so I have another comment about this scene that I want to go back to Michael Landon's um, camera work. Like, why is he lit like Caravaggio? Did you see that? It is the most <laughs> dramatic lighting. It's like, it's pretty dramatic. It's insane. Okay. So the next day they're at a picnic and I thought it was really cute. Charles and Caroline are down on their blanket, groping one another, and the girls are running down the hill and Carrie's pants fall down, everyone laughs at her. Because <laughs> if she rolls down the hill and breaks, they have two more. I'd I'd kind of rather see her fall down the hill than ever hear her speak again. <laughs> okay, so Paul decides he's going to fly a kite. And let me tell you, I started having, like, I started feeling nervous. Like, I, I must have, it must be deep in my memory somewhere because I didn't know this. Mm. But I'm like, <gasps> I just felt doom when I saw the kite. Well, well, I love how Mary and Caroline, or maybe it was Laura and Caroline, are like, I didn't know Paul could fly a kite. And Caroline's like, I didn't either. Like, he's so amazing. You just hold it straight. I'm just like, everybody can fly a kite. I've, I've flown Who many kites. Kite? I've flown many kites. It's easy. I can do nothing. Sports related or sports adjacent, and I could fly a kite. There's not much to it. So suddenly the kite gets stuck in a tree, and we know what's going to happen. Like 100 feet up in the tree. We know. Mm -hmm. A giant tree. It's 100 feet in the air. Charles climbs up the tree and suddenly falls. 
like a sack, like a sack of potatoes out of that tree. And I, I looked up how old he would have been because I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm 45. I'm not going to run up a tree. It just seems like a bad idea. Like if I was 20, maybe I'd be dumb enough to do that. I don't know. But like, you know, like there's a certain point you get to in your life where you're like, hmm, I could break something doing that. I should maybe take yeah. it easy, even though like if you're in good health or you're in good shape, it, you just have a little more caution. He's 38 at this point, which... I feel like it's not that old, but I feel like in those days, that was the equivalent of being like 60. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was. And because people only live to be like, and he has to like, he relies on farming. Like he has to be physical. So I, I, physicality, foolish, Mm -hmm. totally foolish. So he falls like a sack. Yeah. Stupid idea. But I I also noticed something else though. Let me see if you noticed it. No scream or cry. Like he didn't be like, oh, ah, nothing. No, I didn't know. Did he try to commit suicide? <laughs> Think about it. Maybe. Was he like, I paid off Maybe. my debts. He's delirious. My, I'm going to end on a high note because it never happened. <laughs> and now I see the kite is stuck and like we're on the downward spiral again. So I'm just going to end it. <laughs> I'm done. I'm ending it. I'm already going to hell. I've accepted my fate. Reverend Alden is pushing me to kill myself. Okay. Um. So pa- this, I love this part. Paul's like writhing around on the ground in pain. <laughs> Caroline yells for Laura, go to town, get Doc Baker in a wagon, hurry. Mary is okay. standing there. Again. <laughs> Again. I feel like that didn't happen. She's just standing there with no reaction whatsoever, like Damien. Like, I feel like that's not what happened. I think Laura just wrote it like that. She was absolutely expressionless. <laughs> she wasn't like, you know how, like, maybe if you come across something like you're just stunned and you have a stunned look on your face? No, she looked like, like she was just vacant. Like nothing was happening, just standing there. So the next scene we have is Doc Baker bandaging up Charles. He's broken four ribs. He's lucky he didn't. And for some reason, he's lucky he didn't puncture a lung. He is lucky. He's lucky he didn't break a leg. Yeah, like ribs will heal pretty quick. A lung doesn't. But I thought it was weird that Hanson was there for this medical. <laughs> so I wrote down night. This is a nightmare scenario. Your boss is at your doctor's <laughs> appointment. Like this is a nightmare people have. I think. Well, and then I realized when Caroline sent Laura into town, she said, get Hanson and tell him to get Doc Baker in a way. Which, why are we doing, like, why are we doing the handoff? Why are we doing telephone? Why is there a middleman? Yeah. Why does Hanson have to be the middleman? Which, maybe did Laura not know Doc Baker? That's what okay. I'm thinking. That's okay. what I'm thinking. Okay. So Hanson, but even if you're Hanson and you're there because you brought Doc Baker. Wait outside, dude. Give me some personal okay. space. Hanson is the biggest gossip blabbermouth in town. There's no way he's waiting outside. Are you kidding me? That's true. Okay, so Charles, Doc Baker tells him he needs to rest for at least a week or 10 days. Charles is not happy. I want to point out, too, in this scene with Doc Baker and Hanson in the house, I noticed the mantle. Did you notice the mantle over the fireplace? Uh, no. It has their initials carved into it, what? but you do realize their initials are the same. So it's a CI plus CI. Oh boy. Okay. And it occurred to me they have the same initials and why wouldn't you write something else like her maiden name? Yeah. 
Why would you write Carolyn Ingalls plus Charles Ingalls? Yeah, that's right. You would write like Carolyn Smith just, plus Charles Ingalls. Or just Ingalls. C plus C. Like C. <laughs> or C squared. Like CNC Music Factory. <laughs> <laughs> or C squared. <laughs> the next day, Caroline's plowing the fields and she's dragging the oxen and dragging the plow and she's all sweaty. And that night when she goes home, she's like wincing in pain and moving you know, slow. And Charles is like, oh, I'm not happy that you're plowing. Please don't do it anymore. And she says, the fields need to be harrowed and God's not gonna do it. And then she she says, it's not sacrilege because you said it. So is Charles God then? I don't understand. I don't know. But she ends with, if God understands farmers, he understands farmers' wives. Doubt that's true, but okay. So the next day, Caroline is out plowing again, and Mr. O'Neill shows up. And you know immediately what's going to happen. It's the happen. music. The music, dun-dun-dun, whatever, um, walks onto their property and basically says, give me the oxen your husband didn't deliver. Caroline pleads the case. O'Neill's not listening and sends a henchman to take the He's oxen. He's totally a henchman. The actor, I have to look him up because it, it said in the beginning he was guest starring. So I don't know if he's known from other things. And I have also that they must have run him out of Walnut Grove because he's not hes not a character that lasts. Okay, so Carolyn goes home and Charles is pissed. pissed. Like he's pissed like when a mom lifts a minivan <laughs> to get her kid out from under it. Or, you know, like he's super strength pissed. And gets out of bed and heads into town, like throws his sweaty shirt on and heads into town. And Laura and Mary just kind of know something's going to go down and they go chasing after He's got some tails. And we have this really bizarre sequence of events where all the townspeople see Charles coming and they come out of their homes. Because they were already all gossiping about this. They were already all gossiping about it. They saw him come back with the oxen. Like they knew shit was going to go down. They were all waiting for it. It it was very like um, showdown at the open corral. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if you're mad enough, you can probably kick somebody's ass with four broken ribs because it's not a mobility thing, right? It's a pain thing. And if like he has that adrenaline yes. pump in, like they're like, Charles is going to get out of bed and he's going to come down here and like there's going to be a show. Well, I actually wrote, do they think Charles is going to kill O'Neill? I don't know. I think they're just hoping for anything to happen in this boring ass town. <laughs> Okay, so Charles confronts O'Neill, and O'Neill explains that the contract expires that night, so of course he didn't think he could get anything done. Now, let me clarify. In the agreement, Charles had to fix the roof and stack a bunch of sacks from Mankato. And these are... The sacks were not... Yeah, and these are like, they're not little bags of feed. Like, they're probably like 80-pound bags of feed. There's probably a 100 of them. I also read a little bit of trivia that the man you see in one scene when Charles is on the roof working and there's a driver who pulls up and starts throwing the sacks onto the porch mm-hmm. is actually Michael Landon's stunt double. So they look I feel alike. like that's like a detail like when the dude on the Titanic was like really a guy that was on the Titanic as like a child yeah. or something. Titanic, best movie. Yeah, I wish you do that one. Oh my God. I like... You're walking through the living room and Titanic sounds like, okay, bye three hours. (laughs) Okay, so suddenly we know what's going to happen, right? We know the setup. The contract doesn't expire till midnight. It's still daylight. So you know what's going to occur here. Charles 
like a soldier. <laughs> like just fixes his suspenders and drags his ass <laughs> over to that sack and he just starts dragging the sacks over and he is wincing in pain. This scene should have been 30 seconds and it was like seven So minutes. I did some math here. So okay. it's like he does a bag about every 20 minutes because he has to get it to the top of the top. So if, if he's doing 20 minutes a bag, there's like 100 bags. It's going to take him like a month and a half. No, not really. It's going to take him like 33 hours, which he doesn't have. Right. And I wrote, everyone stands around watching Charles struggle for an uncomfortable amount of time. Even his own children. Even his own children. And they're all like, hmm. Like Doc Baker's like rubbing his chin like, huh, what's going to happen here? And like, I just, I mean, like that, what was his name, O'Neill? What a, yeah. that guy is a bag of dicks. I mean. I wrote he's a d- big douchebag. Holy. Like, First douchebag ever guy. in Walnut Grove. The, uh, ever. And then he's gone. And then there's Nelly. But this guy is right. bad. So Charles, well, Charles finally drags a bag up to the top and then tumbles <laughs> down again. A la Carrie style. And again, Jenny, no scream. Again, no scream. This guy either has, <laughs> the, throwing worst, himself around. Either has the worst reflexes or the worst acting skills or he's trying to commit suicide. So when he tumbles down and lies on the ground, Mary and Laura rush over and attempt to start stacking the Which sacks. Which is hilarious. Him. I mean, it's it's cute. It's, you know, they're not going to be able to do and it. It's all Laura's idea. Yeah, and Laura, you it's know, Mary's probably, It was probably Mary's like, idea that Laura stole and wrote into her book. No, no, no it's not. Uh, Laura is more empathetic, understands people, knows what is needed in the moment. And wrote the book. Like all little sisters. And she went over and she started this shit. Okay, so okay. If this were done. us, you would have been cr- still crying at the tree that dad <laughs> fell out of. Just to be clear. You're not wrong. Okay. So I wrote, O'Neill stands there just looking like a douchebag. Like these little girls are dragging sacks and he's still, still watching. Still watching. So then suddenly the entire town emerges. Because they're all watching, of course. And they all start stacking the sacks for him. O'Neill feels like a douchebag and does not apologize, but attempts to like dig in and explain himself. Doc Baker shoots him a look of death. The look says, fuck off, get the fuck out of Walnut Grove. The look says, if you ever come to me with a cold, you will end up dead. (laughs) Yeah, like, they, like he's. This is the end of his tenure in Walnut Grove mm-hmm. for sure. At the end, we have a scene where Hanson tells Pa, "Is it okay with you if we have a a planting contest?" What were they talking about? I have no idea. So what, what they were trying to do was say, "We're gonna help you plow your field." It was a, but they didn't say planting contest. They said some plow something. It, Plowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have a plowing contest. Can we use your field? That's what I assumed they meant, but they called it yeah. something. And I thought I didn't. Know and Charles was. was like, aw, you guys. You guys, shucks. All right. So then Pa comes home. And what happens, Jenny? Reunion scene. So Carolyn finally, like, how long were these kids gone? Right? And she had no, no idea. She couldn't bring up their phones and track those she, sons of bitches. comes she running out, like, oh my God, I only had Carrie left. Oh, thank God my family's alive. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie's like, I'm the and he's got, I'm the, he's got the oxen. 
Like it's the whole thing. All right. So at the end, we get this nice little um, statement voiceover where Laura says, you know, Walnut Grove is their home now. And here, Pa harvested the crop he didn't know he planted, a harvest of friends. And that's the episode. Yay. All right. So now let me ask you, every uh, episode that we look at, we try to figure out, you know, what was it in the episode that we learned or took from it or fucked us up in some way as children. So Jenny, what is your why for this episode? So this is why I had to go to therapy to figure out why I couldn't enjoy the things in my life, but instead imagined all the things that could destroy my, oh my success. God, you're right. You have that, that thing. What is it called? Disaster <laughs> fantasies. And I think this is why, because like I started feeling that stress and doom as soon as, not when he was climbing the tree, not any of that, but when things were going good and I'm like, oh no, this isn't going to last. I know it's not going to, of course it's not because it never did ever for like 10 years. That's interesting because you and I have tried to figure out the origin of that. Yeah, because it it doesn't make sense in my normal life. I'm going to have to talk to my therapist tomorrow. Yeah, mention Charles Ingalls. Hmm. So my why, once again, has to do with Charles. God, I'm exhausted. (laughs) When he climbed that ladder to have that heart-to-heart with Mary and Laura. This is the Caravaggio scene? Yes. I just realized how much I thought he was such a good father. And he just... Go ahead. Did Carolyn make him do that or tell him to do that? I don't remember. No, no. She told him... That she put the kids to bed to keep them like out from underfoot. And he said, oh, have I been that so bad? She and she's like, a in. little. So she clued him in. She clued him in. He but would have picked up say, on that. She, he would not have picked up on that as well, I don't think. No, probably not. But I just think like it was some very early modeling for me of a man and how they talk to their daughters. And I feel like, you know, to dad's credit, he always very openly talked to us like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of set the standard for me of what a good father is. That was my takeaway. And it wasn't a bad one. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one because there weren't many, like I said earlier, there weren't many role models or depictions of men talking about their feelings. On your soap operas? On your soap operas? On your daytime books? And to their children who were girls. There just wasn't a lot of that. And even Charles, you know, he kind of, he uses a lot of like metaphor to tell, like he, you know, he told the story of the grumpy farmer, but we all knew it was him. Like he sometimes struggles with saying it directly, but he says it. Or he gaslights. (laughs) No, every, (laughs) yes, he's gaslighting everybody in his life. That's right. (laughs) The girls are like, we're so sorry. We were so mean to the grumpy farmer. (laughs) yes so that's our episode and i want to thank everybody for listening and next time we're not going to go in sequential order so jenny and i thought it would be cool to just kind of hit on some of the classics right jen and some of the most memorable like when um nelly's faking that she has to be in a wheelchair to get like dolls and stuff and laura takes her to the top of the hill and dumps her out (laughs) classics yes yes charles jr yeah, blind school fire. Carolyn cutting the thing out of her leg. The Johnny Cash episode I would like to cover. Yeah, there's the one where Paul and Mr. Uh, Edwards are going to town and they get attacked by bears. Remember? 
Yeah, and isn't there one where Edwards has like a gambling or drinking problem? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> and he has to go to rehab. It's like a rehab. It's a later one. Did they have rehab? I, they just took you into the woods and dried you out, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So so we're not sure which one we're going to do yet, but um, hopefully we'll get that out for you in another week or so, and you'll enjoy it. It'll be something you remember, and we can look back at it now and say, holy shit, that really fucked us up. Hi, everyone. Amy here. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing. You can find Gen X This Is Why on all podcast apps. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, please consider leaving a five-star review. Those reviews help new listeners to find us. And if you can, help spread the word. Jenny needs all the help she can pay in those therapy bills. I mean, index cards. Eh, whatever. And you can find us and interact with us on Instagram. Our handle is Gen X This Is Why. Letter X, spell out the Y. Hope to see you there. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.